Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, a New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. It is number one ranked company in Google for New Jersey SEO company and New Jersey internet marketing. You can check out their information in our show notes. Today's podcast is part of the service of Reach Community Church in Fort Pierce. Reach Community Church is considered, we consider it a sister church of Alpha Ministries, both Dave Scheel, Pastor Dave Scheel, and Pastor Bob Jernigan um, were trained and raised up by John Glenn, the senior pastor of Alpha Ministries, and they teach the Alpha series. They use it in their curriculum. They love it in their lives. And today's service, the, today's message in the podcast was from this past week's service where myself, Bill Lloyd, and Dave Shield both spoke. It starts out with me speaking. We are teaching on through the book of Mark, and I teach the fourth Sunday. And then Dave did a little follow-up on my message, and he usually does that. You will be hearing from Bob Jernigan and Dave Shield in the future, but I wanted to give a little introduction to um, Alpha Ministries uh, Sister Church. As producer of the Alpha Ministries podcast and teaching elder with Alpha Ministries. I work with both ministries. Uh, John Glenn is my mentor and very good friend of mine. Um, he, he guided me and helped me through the dark night of my soul. So I'm very grateful. And I wanted to uh, include this and, and include some more messages and interaction between um, the two fellowships. Because John Glenn's ministry and his influence is, is really all throughout the Treasure Coast, different halfway houses, because he has given us permission and he has really raised up men and just kind of let them have freedom to follow the leadership of the Spirit for themselves. And he never, he was never interested in building his own little kingdom. And I, I can attest to that. And I, and I appreciate John and his ministry very much. So enjoy the message. Um, I talked about the cleansing of the temple and really that what do we do with anger? James' recipe for anger. So enjoy the message. God bless. All right. So we're following along. Um, last week, Bob pretty much closed out chapter 10 of Mark. We're in chapter 11. Uh, and this event, the entry into Jerusalem, everyone singing Hosanna in the highest, Jesus, we know as, as Palm Sunday. We're not going to focus on that as much except to say that the same crowd that was cheering Jesus on and saying Hosanna in the highest, praise be to God, most high, Hosanna means God, save us now. The same crowd that was all excited was the same crowd, pretty much, 
that days later cried, crucify him. We don't want him. And one reason was that because Jesus did not meet their expectation of what they believed God was supposed to do based on their understanding of the scriptures and the Messiah. When they saw Jesus days later beaten to a pulp, they're like, oh no, wait, he's not the conquering military Messiah that we were looking for. So in Mark chapter 11, in the beginning, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and it says he went to the temple. Now this is very important because we're going to talk about what's traditionally known as the cleansing of the temple. And so when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and everyone remembers the prophecy in Zephaniah, your king comes to you on a colt riding a donkey. So they were all excited seeing Jesus on the donkey coming in to Jerusalem. And there was this high, high expectation of what was going to happen. Now, Jesus walks into the temple and he, it says in verse 11, so this is the night before, he walks into the temple and it says that he looked around at everything and then he left. Now the next day, we know the story that Jesus came in and overturned the money tables of the money changers, got a cord made a whip and drove out the animals of the temple. Now, a lot of people say, wow, you know, Jesus got angry too. And I, I've heard men, especially in, in marriage counseling situations or family counseling, and the complaint of the family is the dad's anger and the dad's temper. And you'd say, well, Jesus got angry too. And, you know, it was like... Jesus did, was, I don't even know really how angry he was, to be honest, because he went in, he looked around at everything, and he went home and slept on it, so to speak. Jesus had a whole night to think of this over, talk it over with his father. Now, what was the problem in the temple? Well, the problem was that on this big feast, people would come and they would bring offerings. So I would be going up to Jerusalem and I would bring my little sheep. Poor people would bring a dove. But I would bring, I would bring an animal to be sacrificed. I would bring an animal to give. What the money changers began to do was they began to say, Oh, Mr. Lloyd, there, your, your sheep's no good. That, that's not acceptable. But we have one here for you that you can buy for a phenomenal price. So they, they were kind of, I mean, Jesus called them a den of robbers. See, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to mix ministry and business. And there's a quote here, and I, I failed, Dave. I'm sorry to, to say who the quote is from. It's uh, was actually the the chapel the chaplain of the um, U.S. Congress. In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. 
Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise, became a business. It's very hard to mix business and ministry. In other words, when you're a pastor and you're depending on the people that are coming to the church on Sundays to give the money to feed your family, there's a conflict of interest there. There just is. You, you can't get around it. Now, there are pa pastors that are very skillful at it, and God provides for them, and, it, and it's their calling. But I feel, and I really appreciate it, because Dave gets creative of how he's going to make all this work. I, I've never heard Dave dog us for money, ever. And we appreciate that, Dave. We do very, very much. Right? Because Dave is called by God to preach the gospel. I believe the more the preacher harps on money, the less he's called to preach the gospel. Maybe he should think of doing something else. I always kept my day job. I, I would not be able to balance that. You guys putting food on my table and me having to love you, because I'd get pretty mad if the money went down, and you know what I mean? So, and that's what you have. That's what you have Jesus dealing with. Now, in our political world, people always refer to Jesus cleansing the table, you know? When Christians get mad at the government and everything, oh, Jesus was mad, he... If we were to apply what Jesus did here, we would be speaking truth to the churches. <laughs> we would be speaking truth to the power structure in the churches, not going outside to the world to, to try to straighten everybody out on politics. Be very careful how we conflate politics and faith because it was the religious people of Jesus' day and the political institution of Rome that nailed Jesus to the cross. <laughs> and I believe in these times, Christians are squeezed the same way Jesus was, between the political structure and the religious legalism. Right down the middle is the road of grace, following Jesus Christ. So we have Jesus, he sees this situation, he sees that the money changers, that the people that are in charge of the temple and the temple treasury and the money are exploiting the people. He slept on it. He talked it over with the Father. What am I going to do? And it's called the cleansing of the temple. What he did was he turned over the money tables. Now, they didn't have paper money. It was all coins. So there's a whole bunch of people in that courtyard. What are they going to do when they see money bouncing all over the place? And you don't have a lot of it. I'm sure people started running after the money. But he also drove the animals out. I don't know if there were bulls, sheep, goats. I don't really know all the animals, but he drove them out. I, I've seen, I, I was at the uh, Martin County Fair years ago. My students show their, show their animals. and um, I had my back turned. I was in the the show area where they had these little mini pens at the fairgrounds and they had their their 
their bowls that they were selling. And I had my back turned, and I kind of felt like the, what is that old song? I feel the earth. I, I kind of felt like the earth shaking. I felt this rumble, and I heard, Mr. Lloyd, look out, look out. And another kid grabbed me, and he pulled me up. And this bull came charging through, man. It was... So think of the scene in the temple. There is chaos. Jesus created chaos when he went in there and flipped the tables over, drove the animals out. People went scattering. Now, metaphorically, in reality, we are the temple. So metaphorically, we can look at this and say, man, when, what happens when Jesus comes into our temple and starts cleansing it? Does it look like, oh, peace, I'm sitting by the river and everything's beautiful, the sun's out and everything's wonderful. What happens when Jesus cleanses our temple? Sometimes it may look chaotic. Sometimes there might be a lot of conflict. Sometimes you might feel the earth shaking, right, when Jesus comes and he cleanses the teeth. Now, put two people in a home together, a husband and a wife and he's cleansing the temple. He wants to work in their lives and in their marriage. It might get worse before it gets better. There might be upheaval, chaos. Imagine that going on in two people. <laughs> and if that's going on, a lot of times, I remember my dad saying, yeah, so-and-so and I got into an argument. Our beams that were sticking out of our eyes were smacking back and forth. <laughs> right? Take the beam out of your eye. When Jesus comes and cleanses the temple, don't look at the other person and say, man, they're really screwed up. I wish they'd change. No, it begins with us. So don't be afraid if there's conflict, if there's chaos in your life, because sometimes that's God cleansing the temple. God is always at work. He's always for us and not against us. He's always with us. And he's always working. And his goal is that he's changing us from the inside out and he's bringing many sons to glory. Many sons. So when he comes and, and cleanses our temple, there might be chaos. Now, like I said in the beginning, this is just this is not Jesus cleansing the temple, is not a justification for man's anger. For getting angry, for losing our temper. Now, anger is gonna come. Anger is an emotion that we're all going to feel at one time or another. Ephesians tells us, in your anger, do not sin. Right? So it didn't say don't get angry, or you're sinning, or anger is a sin. He says, in your anger, when you're angry. Now what does that mean? I believe it just means don't let it turn to hate. Some say that you've got about three seconds to deal with your anger before it turns to hate. So most of the time we're hating. We don't deal with it in three seconds. Now James has a very good, I call it James recipe for anger. And he says, dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. So think about that. First of all, he tells us to be quick to listen. Hey, what do we got to listen to? I believe we, if, when I'm angry, I know I have to listen to God, that he has to speak to me. Now, usually anger is 
a secondary reaction to fear. And we're always dealing with fear of failure, fear of rejection. So when there's a conflict and you're angry, think about it. You're probably fearing that you're going to fail or you're fearing that someone's going to reject you. And the reason we got to listen to God is because he, he takes care of both of those things. The new identity that God has given us in Christ Jesus is that no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what's going on, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. He's given us the keys to the kingdom. He's given us all. We are secure in God's love. We're significant in his plan. And we need not fear rejection and failure. So we're quick, quick to listen to God speak to us about our identity. We always think the first question is, what should I do? The first question is, who are you? And if you are joined to Jesus Christ inseparably, if God has put his spirit in us, made us one, has brought us into this interface, interface with him, the same relationship that Jesus Christ has with the Father, we have with the Father. We're brought right into his presence, right into his very being. In him we live and move and have our being. You know I love to say that the illustration is you take a sponge, put it in the water, the sponge is in the water, and the water is in the sponge. That's what Jesus told his disciples the night before he left. In that day when the Holy Spirit, when you have your come to Jesus moment, your spiritual awakening, Jesus said, know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. That's, that's inseparable union. I'm glad Dave's doing the Alpha series because when you get to chapter 6 and 7 of Romans, you're going to see that we've been united to Christ. The scriptures talk over and over again about us being in God and we being in Christ and Christ being in us. So we need to hear God speak to us about our identity. And then God speak to us about our circumstances. Now usually the way this works with me is when I'm angry, if I'm really angry, and I know that my anger is out of proportion, I usually talk to God about my anger. I tell him everything I'm feeling. And it's not the King James English, it's not pretty, it's pretty, for me, it's, it's Jersey. Think of a Jersey mobster or something, that's kind of how bad it gets. I mean, I go off and I talk about why I'm angry. But as I'm doing that, God's speaking to me about my identity, about who I really am, what I'm capable of as I put off the old and put on the new. And he usually talks to me about that person. His love for that person comes alive in my mind. He loves that person the same way he loves me, <clears throat> the same way he loves everybody. Think about it. People that we're mad at, people that we want to run down, God loves them just the same. We think that I, I've really come to believe with all my heart that if God doesn't love me, he doesn't love you, he doesn't love that guy over there because you and I are the same, I'm the same as that guy over there. If God doesn't love that guy over there, if he doesn't love you, then he doesn't love me because there's no difference. Right? And 
I was talking to John Glenn last week, and, uh, you know, here he is in, in ministry 50 years. I, I, I've been in Christ 40 years, and we said, you know, I don't think we've even scratched the surface, really, of what God's love really is, how much he loves us, and, and the, the eternal plan that he has. I mean, he wants to hang out with us for eternity. <laughs> he wants to be, he has created us and is bringing many sons, daughters to glory, and he's filling the kingdom of God. He wants to be with us. I mean, what the depths of that kind of love, I don't think we really know. So God will speak to us about our identity. He'll speak to us about our circumstances, and he'll lead us and guide us. Now, most of the time, when I go through the exercise, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, when I do that, the problem usually goes away. I don't need to confront the person. I don't need to talk to them. And sometimes I do, and I wait on God's timing. Now, Grace will tell you that everything that I just said is probably... <laughs> The exception. Grace has seen me lose my temper. I've said things that have hurt my family. So don't think like I'm saying, oh man, I really got it together when I'm angry. I blow it a lot, but I know that when I listen to God and shut my mouth, that that's the better way. That's the new and living way. That's the way that leads to life. That's the way that leads to peace. So there's no justification for that. But as we note here, the next thing that we can do when we go through all that is then we can listen to the person we're in conflict with. This is something that Carrie and I have endeavored to do, is to really listen to each other. And there's no, there's no, M. Scott Peck says it, in his book, The Road Less Traveled, true listening, total concentration on the other is always a manifestation of love. Whenever we think of communication, we usually think, well, how I speak, what I'm going to say. Listen is the, the flip side, and listening is much more important. And I've told you that in, my, in, my, in the dark night of my soul, when I lost my son, the people that helped me the most were the people that just listened. I had to tell my story over and over and over again. And I did. And there was no answer. There's no human <laughs> answer for that kind of devastation and loss. There's no human remedy. It's God. It's all God. Now, as we noted, most of our anger is a secondary reaction to fear. If you see an animal, you know, you know, cornered, and it's cornered, and it's like, it looks mean, and it's nasty, but it's, it's angry. Right? If I was to say, oh, I gotta go, go into the store, and, uh, you know, Grace jumped out from behind the wall and scared me, my first thing would be fear, but what would my next reaction be? What'd you do that for? I'd be mad, right? Or when a mom loses their kid in the store and she's running all over, frantic, afraid, she finds the kid, what's the next thing? That's right, I told you not to go away. Right? So it's, it's fear really is the underlying cause of anger. And that fear of rejection, fear of failure, 
And as Hebrew says, most of our fears, and psychologists say, most of our fear is related to the fear of death. Well, that's not true. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job because of that thing that happened. Well, why are you afraid you're going to lose your job? Well, then I won't have any money. Well, what's going to happen if you don't have money? I'll get kicked out of my house and I'll be on the streets. I'll, I'll starve, I'll die. Right? And you trace it back. So, Jesus Christ came to do away with all that. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says that he came, Jesus Christ came, so that he, by his death, would free all those who all their lives were in slavery to the fear of death. So, Jesus has taken care of that. Now, I think most of us, if we really understand eternal life in the kingdom of God, we're not so much afraid of dying. It's how we're going to die, right? Like, there's a lot of terrible ways to die. Most of us would just like to close our eyes, go to sleep when we're 100 years old, and that's it. Very nice and peaceful. Your kids singing around, around the bedside. I want to get eaten by an alligator or, you know, a shark or, you know, a hit, a terrible car accident or have a bad disease, right? Nevertheless, God has made death. Jesus Christ has made death his servant. He has made death the birth canal. He has made death his servant. He's turned everything on its head and he's, he's freed us because whoever so, when we believe in him, whoever dies lives to God, all people are alive. The next age, the next phase is this eternal age that's beyond our comprehension. So that's taken care of. When we meditate on those things, when we think on those things, it alleviates the fear that we have of death. But John gives us some insight in John chapter 4, and he says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, since the garden, and what the story of the garden tells us is that the original curse, I believe, of, of man, they talk about original sin, this, that, and the other thing. The original curse is that fear of God. That fear that God's going to punish us. And Adam passed that on. Most faiths, religions, have this idea of a punishing God. That God wants to punish, that he's going to punish, that he has to punish. Because he's just. He has to. God can't. I, I don't like it when God, when people say, God can't do this or that or the other thing. God can do whatever he wants, right? <laughs> I mean, don't say God... God can't welcome that sinner because... No, God can do whatever he wants. So here John is telling us that fear has to do with punishment. The curse from Adam is a punishing God. If you look at Jesus Christ and what he did and how he presented God the Father to us because he said, I and the Father are one, there's, he's not out to punish us. He's not out to, to punish anybody. That's not, that's not how he works. But a punishing God 
that, that makes sense because people should be punished, right? We've talked about it a lot here that um, I, I've totally rejected the Western view of this eternal conscious torment that people are going to go to hell forever and ever and ever. That was not the predominant view before Augustine. It's the dominant view in the West, but you look at a lot of what came out of the early church fathers, there was a lot of different open-ended views of exactly what would happen. But if we really think about it, I believe why the church gets ineffective, why Christians get flaky, why they're not secure is because of this, this false doctrine of hell forever and ever and ever. There's different variations of it. Some people actually believe that God's going to be looking and just say, and, and, and us too as the saints are going to go and we're going to look. We're going to say, oh, look at all those people burning. Glory to God. God is glorified in that. I mean, that's the, the most extreme view. Then there's the other view, C.S. Lewis, that says, well, no, 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 no. Hell is locked from the inside, meaning people don't want to go into the kingdom. Brad Jersak and Robin Perry, they wrote a book called The Gates Will Never Be Shut. And they say, well, listen, there is judgment. There is rejection of God. There is consequences for that. All through Revelation, you see the kings, the nations, and the kings of the earth making war with the Lamb. And they hate the Lamb, and they're going back and forth. After... The new heaven and new earth is created. The gates of Jerusalem are open. And it says that the nations and the kings are going to bring their glory through the gates. I'm like, who are those people coming into the gates now? Those are the ones that just got the crap kicked out of them in the earlier chapters. God's mercy endures forever. His love endures forever. We do not have a punishing God. God is not looking to punish us. He's not waiting to punish us. He doesn't have to punish us because he's just, because he satisfied that problem of justice at the cross so that he could be just and be the justifier. So it's all taken care of at the cross once for all, once for all. We don't have a sin problem anymore. Nobody does. Sin's been wiped out. It's been removed. What we have is a thinking problem, a faith problem. Fear has to do with punishment. A punishing God serves us no good anymore. As we grow in the grace and knowledge, that falls away, and perfect love drives out all fear. There's no reason to fear God. He, I love what Dave says. You know, I got to go talk to my father about this. You know, I got to go to, I got to bring this to dad. I got to go talk to my father. If you, I know when, if Grace thinks I'm mad at her, she's not going to come talk to me. When she knows things are good, sometimes, once in a while, she'll ask my advice. But she's a fully grown young girl. But there's no, the, the fear is gone. So if we're fearing God, punishing God, it's time to kind of re-examine what we're thinking and what we're believing and draw close. God wants us to draw near to him, near, like a little child, to sit up in his lap and let him love you. He wants to draw you near. The punishment thing is over with. It's, it's, it has no place in our lives. 
anymore, ever again. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. And I never actually counted them myself. How many times in the Bible it says, fear not. But I've been told over and over, 365 times, it says, fear not, in the Bible. That's one for every day of the year. So when you run out next year, start over. It's funny that this message would come about with me coming up with that stupid philosophical question. <laughs> it is it is funny. It's not a coincidence. I call it a God incident. But how, how are you loving others? And how, how do you do the impossible? Um, you gave me a word of encouragement because when there's chaos in my life, God's working. I'm like, oh my God. He's doing it for 25 years. <laughs> when will it be done? When will you be done? <laughs> Get the pressure washer out and be done with it. <laughs> uh, I guess there's a lot of cleaning to be done. And uh must be me. I don't know. I'm going to take it on my shoulders because... <clears throat> anyway, let's not go there. Um, yeah, from the beginning, we had a lot of people that would ask questions like, well, you know... Visitors, well, where do you have an offering box? Yeah, yeah, we do. Well, I never hear you mention it. And I've had people on my church board say, You need to bring up the tithe more often. No, no, no. I, you know what? Since when did we start? Who's my when did we start at Archie's? Oh, nine. No, that's when we became Reach Church. I think it was 2018. Since then, since then, without begging for money, without pushing for dollars. We've made it to 2023, and God has done fine without my help bringing in the finances that we need. Every single time. Every single time. If I'm harping about money, then I'm really not telling you about God's love. And what we really need is God's love. So we don't have to walk in fear. Like you ended with, Bill, I've said this, and it came up in a couple of the Alphas classes I taught if you believe, believe that God is your enemy, your foe, you'll never go running to him, knowing he's your friend. <clears throat> Growing up, my dad was a pretty brutal taskmaster. You didn't tell on yourself. Well, wait a minute. My older brother did a bunch, and I didn't get it. It's like, what are you doing coming home telling this story about what you did? You know you're going to get beat. You know you're going to get grounded. You know. What is wrong with you? There it is again. I learned how not to get caught. Because I didn't think Dad was my friend at all. Matter of fact, I knew he pretty, pretty much wasn't. So I would never run to him with my problems. But this is why I needed the new dad in heaven. It's why he adopted me. I got a dad I want to be like. I got a dad who loves me. I got a dad I can run to. Every single time, no matter how bad it gets... I can go get honest with Dad and say, Dad, I don't know what to do here. Because I know he's my friend, not my foe. But if you think, and I hear it all the time, God's going to thump me beside the head one more time. I'm going to thump you beside the head if you keep talking about my dad like that. (laughs) What is wrong with you? (laughs) Let's fill in some of your blanks. Um... 
Ministry and business rarely mix well. I hate the business part of the church. Jeannie will tell you. <laughs> Board members. <laughs> Bills. <laughs> How much is in the bank? <sighs> Separation. The church is over here and the thrift store is over there and the ministry. No, the ministry is everywhere you are. Everywhere you are. She don't like to hear it, Jeannie, but she's in ministry. She says, no, I'm not the minister. Yes, everything you do in that store that helps other people is your ministry. Everything. You're the minister in that store. You put it all together. We have people come in. They're like, oh, the store is beautiful. Yeah, we have a great store manager. We have a great team of volunteers. This is what they're called to. Yes, thank you. Jesus flipping out in the temple is not, like Bill said, a justification for us to say, well, it's okay for me to flip out because Jesus did. It's not a justification for our anger. Jesus shows that he went home, he was concerned about it, and he went home and he slept on it. Hmm. What am I going to do about these fools who are using God's tools for their own well-being. Hmm. I uh, have been involved in churches where my my we were with this Christian rock band, and they asked me to open up a, a worship service for this church. And it happened to be outside of a Section Eight housing. And it happened to be the whole message was: if you pour your money into my pockets, you'll be wealthy. And I was nauseated the whole time. But I was praying the whole time, too. God, what am I supposed to do? I'm I'm getting ready to throw up. This is sick. Am I supposed to speak, God? Am I supposed to stand up for you? And I just kept hearing, lay back, I got this. And literally, literally, when I walked out of the door of that church, as soon as I crossed the threshold, the nauseous feeling was gone. It was like, oh, man. I couldn't even stand that. What a spirit of darkness. And this girl that I knew from one of the first churches that came out, she goes, wasn't that great? No, it was the most horrible thing I've ever been involved in in my life. I don't know what to tell you. I don't see what you see in that. I don't get it. Then my guitar player came to me. Man, that was just great, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. I would much rather you come to me and say, hey, our band's going to play for this satanic worship session down the street. At least I know we're coming in with open eyes. But no, no, it wasn't good. But the cool part is when I get in those times that I hear from God, I got this. That church closed about two months later. It was gone completely. Folded up. One of the other churches I was involved in was a lot of secrets going on behind the scene. Folded up. God said, I got it. When you see craziness going on in other people's lives because they're human, how are you loving them? Because you're a good human? Because they're a good human? Well, it's easy to love the lovable. That's why you're all here for me. (laughs) But how easy do you think it is for me to love (laughs) y'all? It's difficult to love the unlovable. And I always come back to this one. How did Jesus do it? When these guys ripped the beard hairs out of his face, they beat him beyond recognition. 
how did he give love to us? And the answer comes down to this. Forgive them, Dad. They don't know what they're doing. If they knew your love, Dad, this would never be. If they knew the kind of love that is so perfect, they wouldn't be unlovable human beings. And who am I to judge whether they're lovable or not? Then it comes to this other quote that God told me over the years. There is not a human being in the world that you'll shake the hand of that God didn't send his son to die for. Not one. There's not an eye on the face of the earth that Jesus didn't die for. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 